All right, so we'll start right at the beginning of the yellow sheet there. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Uh, since we're doing study, we're going to skip the Bible reading for today, although I do want to point out a couple things. So um, if you go through this ever, hopefully what you've noticed over the course of the year is that the Bible readings correspond with the portion of the catechism um, that is assigned for each week. So this, this week, starting today, the portion of the catechism that we're reviewing is how can bodily eating and drinking do such great things, uh, obviously from the sacrament of the altar. And so the, um, so the readings are going to correspond with that. So, um, so the, first couple, the first couple readings have to do with uh, God giving the Israelites bread from heaven, uh, giving them to drink water from the rock, and then you get uh, Paul explaining those readings in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where he says, all ate the same spiritual food and all drank from the same spiritual drink, um, for they all drank from the rock and the rock was Christ, right? So the idea that everyone who ate and drank, all of these Israelites who ate and drank, ate the same thing. They all ate the same food and drank the same drink, for they all ate and drank from Christ himself, Yet, nevertheless, you'll hear in 1 Corinthians 10, with most of them, God was not pleased. All right? Because they doubted, they rebelled, they did not trust the word of God and his graciousness, right? Um, so, so we have the distinction here between eating and drinking, which all the Israelites did, and with whom most of them God was not pleased. Uh, so there's a distinction there in the Israelites already between eating and drinking with faith and eating and drinking apart from faith, right? It's not the physical act of eating and drinking that does these things, but rather the faith which trusts the word of God along with the eating and drinking, right? So with a very few of the Israelites, God was pleased. They ate and drank with faith and he uh, brought uh, just a very few of them into the promised land. With most of them though, they did not believe. So he was not pleased, so they received God's judgment. Namely, the 40 years wandering in the wilderness and actually death. All right? All right, so, so we have here this, uh, from the Bible, right, this distinction between eating with faith and eating and drinking apart from faith. And then the last three readings, so Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, uh, two of them are various places where Jesus heals someone and then says to them, rise and go your way. Your faith has saved you. Um, and when you read this, if you read these out of the ESV, You'll notice that in both cases it says your faith has made you well. That's not what the Greek says. The Greek says your faith has saved you. All right? So what Jesus means is I have made you well, right? I have healed you. But what's more important is that you believe in me. And in this believing, you have salvation, right? 
your faith has saved you, right? He's not talking about some sort of physical healing. He means you have faith which leads to eternal life. That saves, all right? So again, the fact that it is faith that saves, so faith necessary for eating and drinking. And then finally, uh, the last reading for this week um, is the, I wasn't sure, so I, I'm the one who like, when I pick these readings out, I give them their little names here, you know, sometimes to try to show the flow. Um, the last one is the uh, Syrophoenician woman who has the de whose daughter has the demon that Jesus casts out, and where he has this little uh, parable, this little um, analogical story about, about uh, bread. And uh, I almost entitled this one, The Crumbs Are Enough. All right, the woman desires only to eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table, uh, and that's enough for her, right? And because of that, Jesus says, great is your faith, let it be done for you as you believe. All right, so those are the readings for this week that you'll find in the congregation at prayer, which are specifically designed um, to uh, complement uh, the portion of the catechism for this week. Um, so moving on, if you go to the page with memory work, we'll go ahead and read the Bible verse, the catechism, and then we'll pray. All right, so, so the memory work, the Bible verse, let's read it all together. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. How can bodily eating and drinking do such great things? Certainly not just eating and drinking do these things, but the words written here, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, these words, along with the bodily eating and drinking, are the main thing in the sacrament. Whoever believes these words has exactly what they say, forgiveness of sins. Let us pray. The Lord be with you. O oh God, the giver of all that is good, by your holy inspiration, grant that we may think those things that are right, and by your merciful guiding, accomplish them. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. All right. So uh, there's more to the, to the congregation at prayer than that, but that's where we're going to stop today. But you should fold it up, put it in your pockets, use it at home, uh, and especially give attention. At least uh, you can split this up through several days, but we have the, the congregational prayer list in here. So if, you, you know, if, you, if you're like most who uh, put your bulletin back for the late service and don't take the prayer list home with you, you have it right here. Um, and I think it's important and it's good for us to all be praying for the members of our congregation who have requested our prayers this week. So I think it's, it's good that we're all praying like this together. All right, by way of announcement, um, so you heard in the divine service that Pastor Schumacher starts sabbatical tomorrow. Uh, what that means is please don't call him, all right? Um, and I, 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 and I mean that, right? So the, the idea of a sabbatical is that he can disengage. Um, being a pastor is, is, is hard work, it's taxing, uh, it takes its toll. Um, which is why Bethany offers a sabbatical every seven years. But Pastor Schumacher's been here for 24 and has yet to take a sabbatical. So, um, so we do ask that you would respect his sabbatical and, um, and call either uh, Pastor Clemmer or myself with any, anything that, uh, that requires a pastor's attention. Uh, divine service on Thursday at 7 for Ascension. Um, and actually you heard about uh, the promise of the of the Holy Spirit tied to Jesus' ascension and uh, divine service this morning, right? Uh, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, 
and uh, he will give you another advocate who will abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth. Uh, and if Jesus, if we had listened to like all of the upper room discourse, Jesus would have said something like, uh, the reason I go away, the reason I leave you to go back to my father is specifically because if I don't, you won't receive the Holy Spirit. All right. So it's good for you that I go back to my father because then you will receive the Holy Spirit and he will lead you into all truth. Right. So. So uh, ascension, we, we celebrate Jesus ascending back into heaven by which he fills all things, uh, which is super important for our sacramental theology. Uh, but also then that assures the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, uh, so come to church on Thursday at 7. Financial forum next week, so we won't have this Bible study, uh, but we will uh, get to uh, think about all things budget. So, um, you know... Uh, Budget is, uh, it's important. It's not word of God important, obviously, but it is important, so. And then uh, two weeks from today, Church Family Sunday. So come at 9.30 for church. If you come at 8.30, you'll be early, but you won't have missed church. If you come at 11, you will have missed church. So for you 11 o'clock churchgoers, please come to church in two weeks. That's Pentecost Day. Two weeks, uh, in two weeks, service at 9.30. Oh, and then, uh, so last week we had something of a mix-up um, the tables and chairs didn't get put away after Bible study, and they were still here when the school day started on Monday. Um, normally, I think everyone pitches in and helps. I'm not normally here for this. So my impression is that normally everyone helps with putting tables and chairs away after Bible study. So we would ask that that does take place today after Bible study so that uh, when the school comes in tomorrow and wants to use the gym, they don't have to first uh, you know, recruit first graders to put tables and chairs away or something. <laughs> All right, I think that's all we have uh, by way of announcement. So let's jump in today. Uh, so if you read the week, I think maybe we can we get a glance. Um, so while, I, while I'm here teaching this, uh, the idea is to do a unit on the liturgy. Um, so, uh, so, so obviously we, we experience the liturgy, we pray the liturgy every week during church. Um, but the pastor, we were... We were doing a little book study among ourselves a few weeks ago, and we were reading some Herman Zasa, um, who in his book about the sacraments says, well, it's important that, uh, that the Christians receive ongoing instruction in the liturgy, that you actually teach about it, uh, so that you actually kind of know what's going on. Um, and so I don't have enough sessions, even over the summer, I don't think. Maybe I will. We'll, we'll, see, how, we'll see how quickly we move. Um, I don't think I have enough sessions to go through every minute detail. But we want to just start with some basic, a basic outline of the liturgy, what we're doing, why we're doing it, um, uh, it's explanation of the various parts of the service. Um, so, right, why, what does it mean? Like, why are we singing the glory and excelsis every week? Uh, why don't we do this is the feast here at Bethany? Uh, all that sort of stuff. Um, that's all stuff uh, we hope to address. Uh, why is the service arranged the way it is? That sort of thing. Um, so first... First, I, I want to commend something to you. Um, I don't know how expensive it is anymore. I bought this like eight years ago. But there's this book by Paul H.D. Lang called Ceremony and Celebration. Um, and I, I find it to be very accessible. It's a very, um, he, he covers all sorts of good things. And I've been revisiting it um, in preparation for this class. Um, so, so just like, so here's, here's a few of, few of the chapters. Chapter one, definition of liturgy. That's good, right? We use this word all the time. What the heck does it mean? Well, well, Lang will tell you, right? 
Um, he, and then he gives some definitions. He spends lots of time, and I don't think, I didn't envision this class doing it. If you really want to talk about it, we will. He spends lots of time about the physical aspects of the church, right? What I mean is like the altar, right? What is it? What's on it? Why are things on it? What does the pastor wear? What's a pulp? Like all this stuff. So he doesn't even get to like the liturgy as like a, a service order right away. He spends a lot of time on the setting for the liturgy. Um, and we could certainly do some of that, but I, that does take up quite a lot of time that I don't think I want to spend. But then he'll, he talks about, then he'll go like rules for ceremony, principles of liturgical music, the ceremony of the order of Holy Communion, uh, the parts that the celebrant, the deacon, the layman, uh, ceremonies, matins and vespers, holy baptism, confirmation, converts. Um, and I, it's, it's less than 200 pages, which still seems like a lot, but uh, compared to some other volumes on the liturgy, right? Uh, that maybe the defining volume for the, uh, if you want to study the Western liturgy, perhaps the defining volume on that is written by a Roman Catholic. His name is Adrian Fortescue, uh, but that volume has got to be like 800 pages long. Um, so it's more of a reference than anything. This is a book that you would read that I would recommend reading front to back. And I, I really think it's accessible e even at the lay level. Um, so so a, lot of what I, a lot of what I'm going to say, I'm drawing from Lang, um, not exclusively, but, but a, in a lot of ways. So the first thing I want to talk about with liturgy um, is the term that we use, um, and we, uh, I, I, we'll get into a little bit of nuance about this. Um, first thing I want to discuss is the word we actually use for our church service, and we use the word divine, the words divine service, um, and if, you're, if your German is good, you'll know that that comes from the German word Gottesdienst. Alright, and that's just a translation. Uh, so Gottesdienst, God's service. Um, uh, now, Lutherans haven't shied away from words like mass, uh, but we typically don't do that now. That word mass has kind of just uh, fallen into a Roman Catholic territory. So we use the word divine service. Um, and so there's, well, let's just, let's just, why do we call it divine service? What is the, what is the purpose here? Okay, so we have presence of God, right? Presence of the divine. Um, what about this word service? What is service, Dennis? Service is God serving us. Okay. Okay, so, so, we have, so we have a directional question here, right? The term God is stained is actually ambiguous. So is the word divine service, right? Uh, what does it mean? Does it mean the divine is the one serving or the divine is the one being served? Is God serving us or are we serving God? So Dennis says uh, the direction here is God serving us, all right? And, and that generally, primarily, is, is what we want to emphasize, right? That the divine service is where God actually serves us with the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation, and he does this through his word and through his sacraments, right? There is, however, the, the, the beauty of, I think, the word God is stained and divine service. I think the beauty, though, is the ambiguity, all right? 
Um, so the primary focus is that God serves us. But the other way around, we serve God, is not, I don't think, completely off the table. It's just not primary. Um, so, um, so this is obviously because if, if God doesn't first come to us, uh, we would have no, no notion that we could even begin to seek God or to do things for Him. But because God does first come to us, we actually do respond. And, and, and what does that response look like? In what sorts of ways do we actually serve God? Like I said, this is secondary. But in what sorts of ways do we serve God in the, in the, in the divine service? Praise. Praise. Singing, right? Yeah, prayer, right? So prayer, praise, yeah, thanksgiving is kind of the, these are kind of the big three. Thanksgiving, prayer, and praise. Chris, you had to hang up a moment ago. Do you want to add something? Yeah, not, not to go in the completely opposite direction, but today in the first reading it says, nor is, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so he's not served as though he needs things, right? So our service of God, so, so that's why the God serving us is primary. He serves us precisely because we need what he has to get, right? Um, we, if, if God doesn't serve us, we go without things that we need, namely forgiveness, life, and salvation is primary, right? Um, so we do serve God, um, but it, even in our service of God, we're not giving him anything that he needs or somehow doesn't have, right? Uh, all right, we give God, right, uh, what he's already given us, we give back to him, right? But that is a service of God. But again, not as though he needs it, right? God would not, if God didn't serve us, we would be less than we were meant to be, right? We would, we would be missing out. Uh, if, if, if we don't serve God, God is not somehow less God or um, less complete. His divinity remains intact, even if we don't serve him, right? But we do serve him, right, in response to what he has done for us. Um, there's a lot of shortfalls of the hymnal Lutheran worship, which came before uh, uh, LSB. Um, but perhaps, perhaps one of the best things in Lutheran worship was uh, the uh, introduction to that hymnal that was written by Norman Nagel. Um, and, and the first lines of the introduction were, um, God speaks, I think it's English, right? God speaks and we respond, right? We listen and then we respond, right? So there's, there's a definite order here, right? That we have a part of the liturgy. We do serve God, but it is very, it is, it is a distant second as far as order of priority, right? So, so we have divine service, God estates, that is primarily God serving us. Um, and in response to that, we, we respond to God with prayer and praise. Any, any questions, just to start with, on, um, on the term for worship, uh, God esteems to divine service. All right. All right, so moving on. So today's going to be a day of a lot of definitions and distinctions. So, so please bear with me. Um, so in the divine service, then, we want to talk about... Um, so Lang draws... He, the, first, the next distinction he makes, I think, is... Um, is um, what is... Uh, is, is the difference between liturgy itself and liturgical materials. Um, so his big thing is that the liturgy actually happens when it is prayed, right? So the altar and vestments and people aren't actually liturgy. These are liturgical items. They're materials by which the liturgy is carried out. 
but they are not themselves liturgy. Even a service book, right? An order of service, divine service, setting free, as you would find it in the hymnal, is not, in fact, of itself liturgy. It is an order of service. It, does, it isn't liturgy until it is carried out. And there are several things uh, that are required for the liturgy to be carried out. Um, first of all, uh, God, right? God is the one primarily doing the liturgy. Um, but, it, but even that isn't taking place until, uh, until it's, it's carried out also then in our midst, right? So God is the actor, primary actor doing the liturgy. The laymen have a part in the liturgy, a really big part, which is a, which is a major focus for the Reformation, right? Um, so the liturgy isn't, it's not, you know, we talk about someone leading the liturgy, and by that we usually mean the pastor that's up there, you know, saying the pastor's parts, and okay, fine, right? I mean, like, that's, if, if we know what we mean by that, that's fine. Um, but, that, but that the liturgy is really this dialogue between God and his people, facilitated in many ways by the pastor, but, um, but never done without the people, and of course cannot be done without God, right? Um, so he has this, and so the liturgy is actually when the action is taking place, right? So, so sitting in the church is, is not the liturgy, right? The church itself is not the liturgy, the divine order of service. We might call it the liturgy like in a secondary sense, but that's not in a primary sense liturgy. So it's liturgy once it's prayed. Right, so the next thing I want to, the next distinction I want to make is between rite, R-I-T-E, rite, and ceremony. Does anyone know the difference between the words rite and ceremony? No, that's okay. That's why we're doing this class. If you all know all of this, we can just go home. All right, yeah, Chris. I mean, one of them is like twice as long. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. Eight, eight, eight characters as opposed to four, good. Is the ceremony that carried out the Okay, so that's pretty close. So the rite is actually the words of the, of the liturgy. So the words. So rite is the words. So. So, the, like, the, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, that is right. Uh, beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart. That's all right. Um, ceremony, then, is, uh, you might say, the action of the liturgy, right? Um, so it's the action or the, um, that's probably the best word, it's the action of the liturgy. The ceremonies, right? So, um, and so you have this... You have this weird distinction in churches where some churches, uh, so Bethany would probably be characterized by many as a very ceremonial church, right? We have lots of ceremonies. Um, and maybe a, a different church, uh, I don't know, I've not been to any other churches in Naperville except for Zion, which also would be considered a very ceremonial church. Um, but if you went, I don't know, I'm, I'm just going to take a shot in the dark here and, and hope I... Hope I'm not characterizing them falsely. Um, I would assume a church like Compass would be considered a less ceremonial church. Or, or maybe the word more informal would be used to categorize a church like that, the way they carry things out. Um, because what they do in the divine service doesn't look that much, or they probably don't even have what we would call divine service. Um, what they have uh, on, for their service doesn't look a whole lot different than what I'm doing right now in Bible study, right? 
I'm walking kind of around freely. I've got my, you know, I don't know, maybe they're pastor. I don't know for sure. But, you know, you've, we've, we, we know of churches where the pastor preaches with his cup of coffee in his hand, right? Um, so here's the thing, though. Every, every church, every church, whether it's Bethany, Compass, Trinity, Lyle, uh, Yellow Box, what is that, community? Yeah. Um, every church has right and ceremony. The difference is, is whether or not the ceremony has been thought, uh, thought about and well prepared um, or whether it's kind of left to the wind, right? The fact that um, you stand somewhere up in front of people and say something, that is right and ceremony. Um, so at Bethany, the fact that I stand at the pulpit to preach that's ceremony, that I stand in that particular place, that's ceremony. Um, the fact that I wear a chasuble when I preach and celebrate the sacrament, that's ceremony. Um, but if I didn't do those things, so if I preached walking around freely, that's also ceremony. It's a different ceremony, but that's also ceremony. Um, if I wear just a suit and tie for church uh, to preach and, and not uh, the vestments we're accustomed to here, that's ceremony, all right? You can't, you can't just get rid of ceremony. You can have different ceremonies, but you can't get rid of it. Um, and what ends up happening is, right, both rite and ceremony are important because they, they teach and confess certain things, right? Um, so whether or not I, wear, I stand at the pulpit to preach, right, uh, there's a reason we do it here. There's probably a reason that they don't at a different church. Uh, that we wear vestments like ours and other churches don't, there's a reason we do it. There's a reason, they would have a reason that they don't, right? And so um, they are, we intentionally are confessing things by our ceremony. And these other churches usually, not always, but usually are confessing things um, intentionally by their ceremony. They don't like the word ceremony, they don't like the word ceremony, but they have ceremonies that confess things, all right? Um, and so lots of what we're going to be talking about, uh, as I lead these studies, uh, we'll talk about rites, ceremonies, and the way they interact with each other. Ooh, I want to back up. I just remembered something that I wanted to say about divine service. Um, so what service do we typically, when we say the word divine service uh, as sort of a shorthand, what, do, what sort of service usually crosses your head? If I say we're having divine service on Thursday, what do you think I mean by that? Okay, so, so we've been catechized recently, probably in the last 20 years or so, that divine service equals Lord's Supper. And the reason for that is because in the Lord's Supper, we actually have the physical presence um, of Christ with us in the Lord's Supper. Um, that's a fairly recent distinction that the word divine service means, just the term divine service means Lord's Supper. Earlier, if you wanted to talk about the Lord's Supper, the word God esteems wasn't going to cut it. Godestines didn't just mean services with the Lord's Supper, it also meant preaching services, like, like our day school matins, or our Lent, uh, Wednesday Lent midweeks, our Advent midweeks. Those would all be Godestines, those would all be divine service, because even through preaching, uh, even when there's not the Lord's Supper, it is still in those liturgies, God serving us primarily, we responding in prayer and praise, right? So God is still serving even in those services, they would still call them goddesses. So in the German, to describe a divine service would be the Haupt, oh, I missed a letter, 
helped got estranged. Uh, and in English, the chief, the chief divine service, uh, would be the one that would be the uh, language used uh, to connotate that there will be holy communion. Right? That every time we're, that we are gathered to hear preaching is a divine service. That God serves us. That we respond with prayer and praise and thanksgiving. Uh, but that there is something different. There is something more elevated about a service with the sacrament of the altar, um, and that we call that one the chief divine service. Um, so, so if we wanted, I don't think we're going to start changing our language about this at this point. But that is kind of historically a thing. So, if I wanted to talk about the ascension service, I'd be saying we're having a chief divine service on Thursday evening, as opposed to a divine service, which could mean theoretically. Uh, I'm not advocating that we have to change that. It's start. We can keep using our lingo the way we use it, but just like as a historical sort of point. I've seen several hands. Start here. I think I saw hands first. Yeah. 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 So communion always equals divine service. Divine service is not always equal to right? So, so if you have communion, you're having a divine service. Uh, but if you're just having vespers, right? Right. You have a gathering of Christians where God is serving them with his word, right? I mean, that's a divine service, like, by the definition of the words, it's a divine service. Uh, but I don't think we're going to, I'm not advocating that we start trying to confuse everyone and start changing the lingo now. Um, again, more of a historical point. Yes, surely. Yeah, yeah, perhaps, right? Yeah, so that's, yeah. And Lang actually doesn't even like the word leader, um, right? Uh, that leader is fine, but he prefers words like celebrate, right? So it's not even that, like, right? Because yeah, Lang likes the idea that, right, Christ is the one among us leading us here. Um, but yeah, you're right. The presence of the office of the holy ministry, right? The, the, fact, the fact that we believe something about the office of the holy ministry does set us apart from churches who don't. Right? The fact that there is a specific man that God has placed here to do the preaching and to celebrate the sacrament does distinguish us from churches that, that don't believe that there is a distinct office in the holy ministry. Uh, but that's not, that's not so much a rite and ceremony question. That's more about how do the rite and ceremony, how are they carried out? Right? Uh, uh, because I'm going to do things differently as a pastor. Uh, because I believe in the office of the holy ministry than I would if I were if I didn't believe in the office of the holy ministry. If I believe that I wasn't in a distinct office, um, and we'll talk about this a lot as we go through the divine service, but when we get to the salutation, right, if I was a layman, right, I wouldn't say the Lord be with you and expect you all to respond in with thy spirit, right? I mean, um, I wouldn't, there aren't all these things I would do as a layman. Um, that I that I that I do though because I am because I understand to, uh, that myself to be occupying the office of the ministry. Other questions after this one, Keith. So, is it can we consider right to actually be? I mean, just the words, the service, because 
the pastor is saying God's word to us in the liturgy, we're responding back with God's word. Mm -hmm. The only way you might say it, because with the LSD, you've got all the biblical scriptural references yeah. to all of the words of the liturgy. Yeah, right? So, so, so yeah, the substance, the, the major substance of the service is in the right. Um, but the right can't, the right just, it can't exist without some amount of ceremony. The ceremony, I suppose, could exist without the right, but, but the right demands ceremony. You, you have to stand somewhere. You have, to, um, you have to hold your hands. You have to do something with your hands. You have to look a certain, like, I mean, it, it, you can't just like, to, to, right? There's no way to do the right without ceremony unless you're like completely disembodied, right? Uh, because we are physical persons, uh, doing right requires ceremony uh, on the part of both the pastor and the part of the, uh, the lay people, right? That, that, they, that they do ceremonies too, somehow, some way, right? Everything, everything is ceremonious. And in some ways, our whole life is ceremonious. Right? Um, maybe not prescribed, but we're always doing something. Um, whenever there's a confirmation, my aunt loves coming to this church, and she calls it a high church. Oh. What does that mean? That's a distinction I wasn't going to bring. So, uh, okay, so, so sometimes you hear, and in the Missouri Synod, this who knows what words mean across the spectrum. Um, different people use different words in different ways. Um, so you've probably maybe heard the terms high church, low church, and maybe even middle Missouri. I don't know if that's a term you've heard, but middle Missouri, that's a thing, right? Um, so, so basically, a church like Bethany would be, they would say, oh, that's very high church. We have a processional crucifix that's carried in by an acolyte. We wear chasubles, we genuflect, we chant, we sing hymns. Like, that all ten, like, we're, that's high church. Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to give these definitions just with the assumption that you're using the hymnal. Not, I, I'm not even going to address churches, even in our, in, our, in our confession, in our fellowship, that don't use a hymnal, because you have, you have this spectrum even just among hymnal using congregations. So low church would be like, you could still do the hymnal, but the pastor, um, if he's probably a church that would someone would say, oh yeah, it's very low church. What that means is that the pastor probably is just wearing an all in a stole that he, uh, that they don't walk in in procession. He maybe just kind of pops out the side door. Um, it's all spoken. He does, and a lot of times the pastor does everything in his power to make it seem informal. So that's kind of the distinction. Middle Missouri is kind of somewhere in the middle there, you know, he might maybe chance but doesn't wear a chasuble or Maybe he wears a chasuble, but he doesn't chant, and and maybe he you know walks around carefully, but then kind of you know cracks a joke here or there, you know, lightens the mood, whatever it happens to be, right? So, um, right. So so Bethany would be considered like it would. Most people would consider Bethany high church. Um, I can point you toward a couple other congregations in the synod that I know of that would uh, that would that would. I, I don't know how to describe this, but that would, that would do more ceremoniously speaking than Bethany. Uh, but we are on the more, uh, the more, um, I guess, we do more of the prescribed possible ceremonies that are outlined in the book than, than most, most churches do, right? So um, if you want to see something a little more, ex I don't like the word extravagant, but that, that has connotations, but 
So a church, using the, defini- using the common terms of high church, low church, around here, if you wanted to see a church that's more even high church than Bethany, you could pop up to St. John in Wheaton. You know, uh, you know, they burn like five times the incense we do, and um, they swing it during the service. Um, yeah, they've, yeah, yeah, they just, they, they do more of that sort of stuff, right? Um, and then, you know, there's very simple churches um, that I think do it well. I don't, I don't like this distinction because most times people use either one of those terms pejoratively. So they're like, oh, so high church. Or, or you, have, you have folks who, uh, who like all the ceremonies, like, yeah, I went to this other church, but it, yeah, it was, it's pretty low church, so, you know, I don't know if I'll go back. Like, I, I, I think there's, there's ways to do a simple service well. I'd rather, what, 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 what bothers me the most is when I get the sense that the pastor hasn't thought through it, right? So there's pastors that have thought through it and still do things very simply. And that's okay. He probably has good reasons for doing it. Um, but you can, you, you can kind of tell um, when the pastor's up there and knows where he's going next, knows what he's doing, has thought through it. And, 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 and you get the idea when he's up there and he's, like, uh, and he has to crack a joke to make up for the fact that he got lost because he hasn't thought through the service uh, and he's trying to, you know, gloss over it or whatever, right? Um, and so on either end of the spectrum, I'd rather, whether high church, low church, I'd rather just have a pastor who's thought through it, knows what he's doing, why he's doing it, um, and carries it out well. Then a high church where the pastor's like, well, um, what do we do next? I don't know. Uh, didn't, didn't look at the bulletin until I walked in this morning, so... Um, so anyway, so yeah, so that's a distinction that I don't find, and, and the other reason is it's just so subjective. What makes for high church? What makes for low church? Uh, and that's kind of in the eye of the beholder in a lot of cases, right? Um, right, if you're like me and you spent like the last year at Redeemer in Fort Wayne, um, Bethany doesn't seem, I mean, it's not like less ceremonial than Redeemer, but it doesn't seem low, it doesn't seem high church anymore, you know? When you've done it all the time, you just kind of get used to it, right? Um, and it's like, and so it's like, but there might be one thing we do, right? Uh, and then whoever sees it's like, oh, yeah, Bethany doesn't do this, so they're obviously not as high church, or they're too high church because they do this other thing. It is what it is. Any other questions at this point that don't have to do with high church, low church? Yes, James. Go back to chief service. Yeah. Please. So we do chief service here on Good Friday, I believe. Yeah. yeah. And is that just to indicate to people that there will be one supper? No, I think that's a very specific um, order of service. Um, so, so what we have is the chief service. What that's trying to set it apart from is like tenebrae. Because um, there's two, we have two Good Friday liturgies. There's two uh, orders of service. There's two orders of service for Good Friday in the hymnal. There's chief service and tenebrae. And I think the reason they call it chief service, it might have to do with the fact that there's Lord's Supper. You're right, actually, right? That there is the Lord's Supper, the chief service at Good Friday, um, and there's not at the other one. But I think that if, I think what they're trying to convey is that if your church has both of these and you're only going to go to one of them, go to the chief service because it's, it has the Lord's Supper and it's just more full. It's, um, but we have the chiefs as the chief service. Um, I don't know where they came up with that term. I haven't studied it. Um, for centuries, the service that we have as chief service would have been known as treore. And if your Latin is good, you'll know that treore translates to three hours. And so treore is a histor- historically a three-hour service on Good Friday. 
that started at noon and ended at three, uh, the, the hours that there were darkness while Jesus was on the cross. And it did include a lot of the components we have as the chief service, but it had even more. Um, and so, so what we have, what's called the chief service is really just truncated treore that you can get done in an hour and a half. Um, and since it's not called treore, you can schedule it whenever you want during the day on Good Friday. It doesn't have to be noon to three. Dennis. Yeah, yeah. That's a different. That's a different variation of Traore that popped up sometime in the 20th century. Um, so, so yeah. So, and, and if I if I had to guess, you had six services, six half-hour services, right? All smushed together, comes up to three hours. Uh, my guess is, and usually that. Um, it's already quarter to my goodness. We didn't get through what I wanted to get through. That's okay. Um, so my guess is, right, usually those six half-hour services end up being on, like, the last word, on the words from the cross. Um, and that itself is a variation that's not treori as the church had it for years, but it's fine. But that service usually wouldn't include the Lord's Supper, um, because it's six half-hour prayer services. Um, so treori is in three components, and we could talk a lot about uh, the, the Holy Triduum some other time. All right, so we have rite and ceremony. I only have a couple minutes left. Um, so the other big distinction I wanted to get to today um, was this distinction between ordinary and proper. Maybe I'll make them plural. Ordinaries and propers. Is that a distinction we're at all familiar with? Not that's fine. So an, an ordinary an ordinary is, is, are the parts of the service that we do every week, with some exceptions in Advent and Lent. Um, and, so, and so the five, there's typically thought of as five ordinaries of the, of the, of the divine service. Um, and they're all parts that are sung by the people. So the five ordinaries are the Kyrie, the Gloria in Excelsis, Um, the Creed, specifically the Nicene Creed, uh, the Sanctus, and the Agnus Dei. These are historically the five ordinaries. And then in our usage, we have a couple other things that are just kind of de facto ordinaries, even though they weren't historically. Um, so in here you would have, typically we have uh, our offertories end up being ordinaries because we do the same ones every week. Historically, the offertory was a proper, so it was different every week. There was an assigned offertory for every Sunday of the church year. Um, so Create Me does kind of function as an ordinary for us. And then uh, our other ordinary that kind of became so at the Reform during the Reformation uh, was the Nuc Dimittis after, um, the after uh, receiving Holy Communion. That's, that's one of Luther's changes. Luther had a lot of really weird liturgical ideas. Most of them didn't stick, and for good reason. Um, but the Nictimidus was good, and so, and so when Chemnitz is like writing his church order, he's like, well, that's an okay idea. Well, we can leave this one in. Um, so yeah, so we've got, so those are the five ordinaries. Um, and then of course, the, the kind of caveat is the glory of Chelsea drops out during Advent and Lent, they're, because they're penitential seasons. Yeah. 
Yeah, so not historically. Uh, yeah, yeah, so, so you're right. In our usage, right, confession and absolution is something of an ordinary. Um, so historically, the service doesn't start with confession and absolution. The assumption is that you are going to individual confession and absolution. And so historically, the service starts with the intro. Um, during the Reformation, uh, general confession at the beginning of the service kind of becomes a thing. Um, uh, it kind of becomes a thing, and it's adopted, and um, they argue about it for a while, and Luther finally says, yes, it's fine, but you still better be getting your butts to private confession. Um, uh, so that's, a, that's kind of its own thing. But, but because of that, we have it, and we have it right at the beginning of the service. Um, because it's not historic, it's kind of popped up at various places in the service. So um, our, uh, our uh, brethren, our estranged brethren in the wells... They have confession and absolution, at least in the last hymnal. I haven't looked at this one, their new hymnal. Um, I think their confession and absolution came after the sermon, right before, um, right before the uh, service of the sacrament, they had confession and absolution. Um, and, and so that kind of became the place of that ordinary for them. All right? So ordinaries, these five, every service. Church has been doing this for over a millennium, which is... One of the reasons, among others, that we sing that instead of This is the Feast. Uh, this is the Feast was a 70s era innovation. Uh, anyway, I don't have time to defend that though right now. <laughs> Later. And then propers are things that change week to week. So uh, the hymns, right, are propers. The intro is different every week. It's proper to that Sunday. So it fits the theme of that Sunday. The readings. Um, uh, typically the prayers end up being propers. Um, the, prop, the proper preface, all these sorts of things. These are propers. Oh, the collect of the day. That's a, that's a proper, all right? All right, so it's, it's 10 till we got to get ready for church. Any, any quick questions before we, before we call it a day here? Yeah, uh, yes, sir. So, so, the, so, the, so the ordinaries are typically things that are in the mouths of the people. So the ordinaries are typically not a pastor's part. And I know that we say the Lord's Prayer all together. Historically, during the service of the sacrament, the pastor says the Lord's Prayer by himself. And it's actually thought of to be part of the words of institution. So the, um, which is why in TLH, and there's even an option for this in LSB, the pastor chants most of the Lord's Prayer by himself. The congregation sings the doxology of the Lord's Prayer. And then the pastor launches straight into the words of institution. Right, so the, the doxology is just in some ways the punctuation of the um, congregation uh, at the end of the Lord's Prayer uh, before the before the bear for themselves. Uh, Shirley, you have a quick question? Oh, we'll get there. We'll get there. I like to bother Shu sometimes and Pastor Schumacher sometimes and I'll ask him so uh if I, you know, I, I know if I'm not the celebrant on the upcoming week, but I'll see him during the week. I don't know if it's him or Pastor Clemmer doing the divine service. And so I'll jokingly walk up to Pastor Schumacher and say, uh, so who's sacrificing the mass this week? You or Pastor Clemmer? And he's like, and he goes, oh, it's not a sacrament. <laughs> so. But it's fun. All right. Well, with that, we got to get to church. Uh, God bless you, and I'll see you all in church.